Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here, in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Choo-choo! All aboard! Chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga. I'm so excited, Jake. (laughs) Today on Decision Space, we are covering our first ever train train game. game. Is it an 18xx? No. We're 18xx people now. No, this is not 18xx, but it's a train game. And it's a cube rails game. And if you don't know what that means, good, because I didn't either really fully understand what that meant before I played Chicago Express slash Wabash Cannonball. Slash Chicago Express. The same game with two different names, depending on who the publisher is that's releasing it. This is one of the most famous or maybe well-known or maybe influential train games of at least the last two or three decades. It's a game that has an ardent group of supporters. So I know Jake and I, and also a group of people who say maybe this game isn't quite what it shakes up to be. So Jake and I are really excited to hop aboard the train hype, get into what we think on Decision Space of Chicago Express slash Wabash Cannonball, the same game. We're going to do that. I I don't know. We're going to call it one of those, maybe both of those things throughout the episode. I mostly know it as Chicago Express. It's coming out as Rio Grande. It's going to be a great deep dive where we look at an important game in this genre that is known for high interaction, high agency perhaps, and stocking manipulation, ownership. There's so much going on in this game, so I'm really excited to get into this deep dive. But Jake, are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm like nervous though, because the train genre, you know, is such a beast, right? It's like a hobby in and of itself, right? It's like there's board games, then there's war games, then there's magic gathering, And then over here at the other table, it's train games. And those are all the games that ever existed. All games fitted one. Those those are all types. Yeah, one (laughs) or the other. Exactly. (laughs) No, I. You're right, though. I think a lot of times when people hear train games, a certain if you haven't dipped your toe in and you're not curious, maybe you'll you bounce off the idea of delving into train games. And if that's you, if you're about to hit pause on this episode, say I'll see you next week, Jake and Brennan. I think you should stick with it. There's a lot of interesting decisions uh, hidden away in this genre. And, you know, I don't know. I like trains. I have a toddler, so it's a train where I train household now. So it was basically I, I had to get into Chicago Express. But Jake, that's just not no more. Let's just get into it. I want to know your rating and overview of Chicago Express. Okay. Wabash Cannibal. I'm going to give this game a seven out of ten. Okay. I enjoyed it a bit. I was pleased that the rules were surprisingly light. I guess that's one of the things that's hard about this review is it feels like I don't have the context that I normally have when we review like a Euro game, right? Or like Mm. an efficiency game. So it feels like this is almost my like throwing paint on the board the first time. And I'll have to, I'll know if I like Chicago Express based on subsequent games that I play in this genre. Um, But as of now, you know, I, I found it pretty enjoyable. Uh, I like the slight rule set. There there were times when the decisions feel like not worth it to me to try to work out mm. what my best move is. And I think I'll get more into sort of those feelings later. So that's not my favorite. But then there are also a lot of times where I felt like the game is just over one third of the way in. And then we're just sort of 
playing out what we all know is the inevitable conclusion of the game so that's kind of weird too um but overall i still had fun with it so that feels like a seven out of ten game to me okay here's mine chicago express slash wabash cannibal is a remarkable design with a somewhat svelte rule set and certainly svelte action set for its players it produces an energetic driving raucous and enigmatic Magic Circle. It's a game about jockeying for position, speculation, uh, finding or especially collaborating to produce creative solutions to unseat the leader. And I thoroughly enjoy Chicago Express despite rough edges like functional player elimination that jut into the games more frequently than I'd like and keep the game from being one that I can confidently say anyone should experience, but it's easy to see why for some Chicago Express is a masterpiece. For me, it's simply a game I'd always be happy to play 8.5 out of 10 wow. so i like this game a lot more than you that's high i think it's yeah. awesome yeah i yeah. think it's a really good game there was a lot of discussion about rating scales in our discord recently about whether we stick with the 10 point scale or i was sort of proposing uh like ripping off rips rick steve's travel book scale which is just three three triangles which is like you should know about this try to see this or don't miss this attraction. And I feel like for me, this game is kind of like, you should know about Chicago Express. Mm. I think if you're like interested in like cube rails or train games in general, it's definitely one to know about. But I don't know that I would go as far as to say like everyone largely should go out of their way to play this game. Of course, it's so easily accessible on BGA that like you might as well. I will say some other words that I should have snuck into my description that I didn't are something that really impressed me about Chicago Express is how much game it packs into a tight little box. It There's a lot of different vectors on which this game allows players to interact with it, just strategically and mechanically that we'll get into. But the other one that I, I feel like the word hasn't come up yet, but has to, is fragile. It's a fragile game. It's a fragile decision space. There's definitely ways it's an auction game so you can make terrible decisions there's some things to help balance that a little bit the game will let you really mess up and also there's a degree of players needing to collude and work together to unseat a leader in this game that i think for some people will not be of interest at all but if your group was interested in that and working together to come up with those sort of creative solutions of trying to to work together we'll talk about how that might happen it creates a really rich experience that forces you to think about the psychology of your of your table space things that i really like that jake is sort of like i want to play a euro game leave me alone i think yeah i think that's true but also in practice how many times was a leader unseated in your plays i agree it's not not as common a zero a goose egg for i don't think it was zero i think it's zero i think (laughs) like you can like prolong that's not to say it can't happen but i think you by the time at our skill level i think we were identifying, oh, wow, that person is way out in front. It was it was, it was often, or I would say late. always a little late, but it's so rigid because it's like it's one auction and now they're off to the races almost. Yep. Okay, pause. We're, we're so excited to talk about this game that we're just getting right into it and I can tell the conversation is going to run away from I us. I just can't let you go unanswered. <laughs> so let's get into the game background and then we can dive into the decision space and we'll have our banter back and forth. Tell lies episode. to our listeners. <laughs> So Chicago Express was first released as Wabash Cannonball in 2007 by Winsome Games, a company 
uh, started by John Bohr, who is the designer of many, many train games and route building games, uh, disguise, or, which are trained for the most case, just train games in disguise. So some of the other games that he's designed are games like Paris Connection and also was involved in Age of Steam. But it's also been published by Queen Games as Chicago Express. And there's a new edition coming this year from Rio Grande Games. Uh, that's really exciting. I don't normally do this on the show. Jake and I don't tend to talk about price very much, but I sent because I saw it on Game Nerds, the new version of Wabash Cannonball is $30 as for pre-order, which I think contextualizes maybe why I enjoy this game as much as I do, because for for that price, there's just so much game packed in, in that box. But we'll see how that version comes out. I know some folks say that maybe Rio Grande has a history of not presenting their train games as strongly as they could, uh, but jury's still out on that. I'm excited to see what that release looks like. Uh, Jake, we're gonna I'm going to propose, if we cover train games, that when we do, we include fun train facts. Okay. okay? Yeah. Okay. So, did you know, Jake, that the Wabash Railroad was operated from 1837, founded before the Civil War, and operated all the way until 1964? crazy i didn't and know that another fact for you at the end of 1960 wabash operated 2423 miles of railroad which was 4311 miles of track that's a huge swath of the united states covered though they were mostly actually in the midwest with lots of tracks all over there but i thought it was fun to just pull in a little fun wow train fact. that was fun yay <laughs> Okay, the other thing I wanted to cover, Next time Jake, you should do it like trivia. You like okay. ask me and I'll try and answer it and I'll just have no idea. That'll be such a good bit Like if you just time. asked me like how many miles of tracks they had, I would have been like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 300. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next next is going to be fun train trivia. That's perfect. Okay, the brand sells itself. Okay, that means we have to do another train game. But it might be easy because we could explore more Cube Rails games. So for listeners who haven't explored as many train games, uh, like Jake and myself, actually, you might be confused with all the termina- terminology that gets thrown around around train games like 18xx or cube rails games. Chicago Express falls into the cube rails game genre and the cube rails games are games that take an abstract approach to their track building. So when people say that they're cube rails, they're talking about the actual orientation of the tracks being abstracted. So in Chicago Express, when you lay quote unquote tracks, you just put a train piece in a hex and that shows that the train has uh, has tracks there. In a lot of 18xx games, you actually have hexes with different shapes of tracks on them that you are orienting in different ways, which controls the flow of uh, of the actual rails that in these cube uh. rails games is totally abstracted. So they're called cube rails because the rails in the original printing of a lot of these games were just represented by a cube that you would place from a given railroad in a given hex. That's interesting. I played Stevenson Rocket recently and that did have hexes with train track shapes on it. So, so it was... I have played an 18xx game. <laughs> Some people do call that <laughs> Kinetia XX, but I don't know if it hopefully, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but that's one I would love to get your thoughts on at some point in the future. Yeah, I'm a pretty big 18xxer. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Come out of straight gamers. Okay. <laughs> Other examples of Cube Rails games include Paris Connection, which is another John Borger game. And it's also Capstone Games has a new series that's very popular. Uh, beautiful covers. So like Irish Gage by Amabel Holland and Iberian Gage also by Amabel Holland. I played are, that one. Are both examples of Cube Rails games. What do you think of it? I liked it. I, it was the first train-ish game I have played ever, really, I think. Actually, Ticket to Ride. 
That's another one. Dang, I played so many train games. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, are you? <laughs> we're gonna get skewered. <laughs> <laughs> we're big train experts, dude. We're probably the eighteen XX podcast these days. Um, <laughs> uh, no, anyway, to answer your actual question, I played Iberian Gage at five players. I didn't know what the hell was going on the entire time. Mm. It was like some. It was similar to Chicago Express. We have like shared ownership in companies, which is like, a hallmark of train games. And as you build the rails out, I think the train companies were becoming more valuable. Yep. So I just kept being like, this is the party train. We're all getting on it. We're all going. And it was moving and taking over everything. And at the end of the game, I won by like a million points. I huh. just like lapped everybody. And I have no idea how it happened. Did you get? Did you just have like ownership? In the, you must have gotten everyone to help out building uh, yeah, out your network. Yeah, on, it, of the it thing was, you own the majority of. It was of like everybody was like unbeknownst to them helping me just like get way ahead. But also unbeknownst to me. I do think. So one thing that I'll say before we go into the synopsis and we dive in deep that people should know up front is that train games because of the way that uh the scoring typically works that they're centered around uh having ownership of certain companies and those companies paying out dividends at a certain point and oftentimes you win by having the most money at the end it can be tough if you aren't experienced in the genre to have a sense for the flow of the game and how people are doing and that was definitely part of my experience with chicago, chicago express too i've played this game probably 20 times now maybe 25 uh thanks to board game arena where the vast majority where all those i'm gonna look what i did you're gonna look at the exact number okay i appreciate it for me but i will say that the game took me i was excited about it from the start because i was interested in the genre and it took until play three or four to really feel like i had any sense for how the flow of the game was really going and how i was really doing and one play or two plays to have a sense for if i was even approaching using the tools presented to me in the correct way i played 16 times and i lost my first 14 and then i won 15 16 and 17 all back to back no wait no i said that wrong i lost my first 12 then i won 13 14 15 and then dead last in 16th again well you know you can't win them all no but i solved it for a second there (laughs) um yeah no it i totally agree with your point that it is opaque as hell when you're starting out um and, and just to go back to your point about purchasing this game, when you shared that it was like 29 bucks, I kind of had the same thought, which is like, wow, what a steal. I yeah. should just buy this and add it to my collection because it is a lot of game there. But then I had a second thought, which is like, I think this game is only valuable to you if you're playing over and over with the same people or people with like mm. equal experience. So yep. which is awesome for board game arena because we've been playing largely with the same people in all of these games or most these games uh Socratic and indoor from our discord and us we've just been going at it really hard um and it's been awesome playing it together with those folks and learning and our meta has been changing yeah i just don't know that it would provide much value to anyone to just play it once with a full, a full table of novices and that's so much how people experience games they buy these days so i, I feel like it, it is like a train gamers train game even though it's like a cube rails game you know if that makes sense like yeah. perhaps if you had played a ton of cube rails games and everybody had and then you played this you could get right into it and be having like fun strategic tactical experience yeah but for us it was just like the first five or ten plays you just kind of like people in, our, in the chat like indoor kept being like jake why did you make that choice it makes no sense it's like i don't know <laughs> like, i'm just trying to understand what's happening wrap my head around it yeah yeah and normally i'm not somebody who's like 
slow to pick up games. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, should we get into it? Let's do it. Uh, so before we head into our deep dive, let's play Brendan's previously recorded rules overview to give you a little bit of a better idea of how this game plays. Chicago Express is a stock ownership route building game in which players have three key actions, starting auctions, laying train routes, and developing spaces on the map. At the start of the game, a map displaying the eastern and midwest United States is before the players displaying cities, forests, mountains, and plains, as well as a row of starting positions for each of the game's railroads, which players will buy ownership shares of throughout the game. And these railroads start at the very east side of the map, and on the western edge is Chicago. Throughout the course of play, these companies expand westward, trying to connect the railroads to Chicago and other key cities on the map. By connecting railroad lines to cities, players can increase the value of these companies and the owners of shares of these companies will receive dividends, cash paid out to them, at certain points in the game. This incentivizes players to increase the value of companies they own a majority share of by building track and incentivizes them to attempt to devalue the shares owned by other players by auctioning off shares in other companies, diluting the total dividend issued to owners of those shares. Blocking routes on their board with trains also becomes a viable way to interact, either directly by playing their trains to a key location's first making it more expensive for other routes to follow. Each round of Chicago Express is driven by three action dials that display a set number of actions that can be taken for each action type in the round. When two of these three actions dials reach the limit, the round ends and a round of dividends occurs, increasing the value of cash each player has access to. A turn in Chicago Express is simple. Players choose one of the available actions, advance that dial by one space, then take the action that they selected or they may pass. If they choose to auction, they select a rail company with shares still available to be sold and auction it off to the table. The winner of that share will receive dividends from the company for that share in the future, but they are speculating that their investment up front will return a good profit in the long run. Money paid for those shares goes into the company's bank where it will be used by those companies to build tracks. Players may build track for any company that they have at least one share of, allowing them to place three trains onto the board for a single company and expand that company's reach on the board. Finally, they can choose to develop a space, improving the value of having a route in that space, or in the case of four spaces, adding a bit of cash to the company's coffers. Play continues this way until an endgame condition is met. Here's an example of two of them. Either three or more companies no longer have shares remaining to sell, or three or more companies have no trains left to build. There's a few rare to occur endgame conditions as well. At the end of the game, if the player with the most money in their personal coffers is crowned the victor, but as a final twist, whenever a railroad reaches Chicago, that company receives a special dividend just for that company that can dramatically shift the positions of players who own a share of that company, providing lots of endgame excitement and uncertainty around what railroads will or won't make it to Chicago. Thank you, Brendan, as always, for taking the time to record that rules overview. Hopefully everyone listening has a better sense of what the hell we're talking about in this wild, wild, crazy world of trains. The Wild West, Chicago, 1946. Yeah. Now, 1846. <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, I don't know when this game is actually set. 
when is the what's the actual year on on this one i don't know there's no explicit year stated maybe it's definitely not right at the founding of wabash which is one of the railroads that you unlock in this game but it's not one of the starting railroads which makes it an interesting sort of frame slash name for this game we'll get more into that later because we want to start this show the same way well we already started the show we want to start this segment of the show same way we always do which is an overview of the decision space which i think is going to be really tricky with this game uh we like typically here to talk about the size and depth of it uh the feel how clear it is the type uh of decision space and i think that the thing that strikes me jake is just in terms of size and depth there's a lot of potential options presented to you with different pieces of this game um but there are some limiting factors which is there's only three types of actions a player can take they can uh they can elect to start an auction they can elect to place pieces and they can elect to develop a tile that final action is much more narrow and happens much less frequently it's like you almost never want to do it it's sort of a tactical yeah it's like stalling it's stalling it's there might be you might need money there's there's a few reasons if you're the sole investor and maybe one of the rails you might really juice up all the cities on the way to boost your your own value in that rail but it happens way less so it all feels really focused because of that but at the same time and it feels fairly open in terms of the track building that you can do the different areas and paths that you can take the trains on which we'll talk about more but at the same time with the auction decisions it feels like there's pretty specific um uh, values that you're trying to hit, especially in the opening auction around whether you're getting a good deal, an okay deal, an acceptably uh, deal, or just like, I cannot bid this. And it's a narrow range of money that it feels like it shakes out to be. Yeah, it's so strange at the beginning because you're right. There's like acceptable values that you just don't know the first time you're playing the game. Um, and also with the openness of it, you can take the trains everywhere you want, yep. but it feels like you almost always want to take them on their direct route to Chicago. I think that there's for each train, there's sort of two paths that you could probably realistically tra- take. What's the red path cases. that doesn't go straight to Chicago? Okay, all paths go to usually go to Chicago or you might end up going to Detroit. But for red, you're either going to go north kind of towards green uh, and go above the mountains towards Harrisburg or you might go south towards Martinsburg and kind of fight with blue a little bit more. So I, when I'm saying you have two, all the paths lead towards Chicago, no, no doubt. But I think how you get there can matter and turn order who owns what shares can affect which way you want to go yeah i guess so but like it you can hit like a huge uh you can make a huge blunder in this game where you don't have enough trains to get to chicago sure and it feels like the red one you have to go straight there basically and any other way that you would detour is going to make it so that you can't hit chicago and if you're invested in red that's going to be really bad And that's, well, can I say why? That's partially because uh, the red company, the red railroad has the fewest shares. So there's only three shares. So that means in this game, you, it makes it very valuable because it's harder for your position within red to get diluted, right? If you win red, the first share of red at the start of the game, when it's auctioned, you own a third of that company, but the yellow uh, railroad has six potential shares in the game, right? So if you win that auction at the start, you only own potentially one sixth of that company into perpetuity to 
And this is sort of set up to give the game texture to make them all a little different. But the trade-off is that red has fewer available trains overall. It only has 19, whereas yellow has 25 total that it can place throughout the game. So what Jake's sort of getting at is red has to make a beeline, but it's probably the most valuable. Um, Whereas yellow, I don't know, yellow is a whole ball of wax. I'm convinced I never want to own CNO. Yellow just seems rough, but you kind of get at what I'm trying to get at there. I think, and I think what you just said is also key to like my understanding of the decision space where it's like, and maybe it's just because of our medics, we've been playing with the same people, but you sort of get really quickly into these, this mindset of like, these are some pretty concrete paths that to diverge from too significantly is just wrong Mm. yeah like you would probably not want to take if you buy into green nyc you would probably not want to try to go all the way south and try to cut through the mountains down there because you're not going to be doing much right you don't have enough trails trained to do it but you could you do make the decision do i go north up to albany or do i go straight east or excuse me straight west to bingington bingington I yeah, and I think that the the game itself, like the different levers you can theoretically pull, is almost like bad signposting mm. because there are like these cities where they can you know make your train significantly more income if you go through them. So you it created the impression to me when I was first playing, like oh, I should try and navigate my train up into somebody else's city to get those points. But it just feels like in practice, or you could like, oh, try and like cut off this train with my train so that they'll have to pay more money to go somewhere. But in practice, it's like, I think that just never has really paid off for me or for anyone else I've seen attempt it. The sort of idea of like, I'm going to buy a share of of blue just to send blue in the wrong direction. That too. Even that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I think that would be cool if that existed more, but in practice like that's all that's going to do is sink you and the other investor in blue yep no to no, the benefit totally. of everyone else I think the the rub of the whole... So one thing about Chicago Express is when you move into a space, it makes that space more expensive for future trains to move into that space also. So what Jake was getting at with like, I'm going to redirect to this other city to try to block someone, kind of blunt how how effective a certain action is for them. One thing about this game that's really tricky is because everyone wants to get to Chicago because there's this extra dividend which pays out a lot of money, which is essentially points because whoever's the most money at the end of the game wins, you have this huge pressure to get to Chicago. But doing anything on your... So you you want to get whatever you own to Chicago as fast as possible. You would also like to be the sole owner of it, so you're the only one benefiting. But if you solely own a rail, it's going to be really slow for you to get there because you're going to be the only one placing rail for that railroad. And it's good. The trains where multiple people are placing railroads, uh, placing building a railroad, are just going to get across the map further. But at the same time, using those actions means you're not starting auctions, which is giving you control over how different shares are distributed at the table. Also, if you are invested with someone or multiple someones else, it feels really bad to use your turn building rail for that train because it's if helping not, them yeah. equally to you. Yep, or more to you, right? So it's like that doesn't like you. It doesn't always happen that just because more shares of something is out that it moves faster in some cases it's exactly the opposite right and a lot of times in those cases then you have to look and sort of say okay jake and i both own blue we would both like blue to get to chicago i also own green and jake also owns yellow i'm in a better position because green pays more so it's probably my job to be the one driving us towards the blue train that we co-own towards chicago because if all else equal i'm a little ahead of jake 
So then Jake is saying, how can I catch up to get ahead on my get my yellow higher so that I'll benefit when the blue happens. So you're trying to sort of push on these different railroads to end up in the strongest position. But then another thing that can happen is you can just own a strictly worse portfolio than someone. And what we mean by that is if both Jake and I own two shares of say blue, but then he owns two shares of green and I own one share of green, I have almost no viable actions that I can take to better my position because I've kind of been dominated by Jake's position within the game. Or even if I have one blue and one green and you have one blue and one green and I have one more dollar. <laughs> sure, yeah, sure, sure. That is <laughs> like the extreme as, example. Yeah. Like it could be that slight and you're all just like basically out, you know, maybe not that early on in the game, but yeah. like a little later on in the game, yes. And I think that also because of this like shared ownership thing is why in the game theoretically does allow you to like team up on and make sure a single person doesn't win. But if that person like we might all say we were play a four player game and we're like, hey, if uh, Brent, we have to make sure Red doesn't get to Chicago or whatever, because uh, Brendan's in first place and he's got two shares of red and then i'm sitting there and like but i'm invested in red also you know yeah. what i mean so yeah. it kind of creates a situation where it's like do i accept like my effective like last place and sandbag brendan's hopes for so that one of the other two players can win or do i just go forward anyway and then maybe i get a nice second place you're like a vassal state. Right. And I think that is the kind of thing that happens a lot when we sort of are like, okay, this person's running away with it. They're like too inter-invested with other players' incentives. Mm-hmm. And nobody really wants to be like, okay, fine. I'll just take last to sandbag my position for one of y'all. It's like, yep. what's in that? What's in it for me there? Yeah. But I do think it's those dynamics are interesting and fun to, to figure out and to sort of sift through at the table, which is not something that typically comes up at this point in our discussion talking about like, well, yeah, but the decisions around that are really fun. But that's just something that really drives the experience of the game is like the dynamics around trying to figure out how ownership exists and who might auction what next and why I think is really interesting. But let's talk about clarity real quick. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Well, we didn't ever talk about type either. Yeah, I'm avoiding that one. Yeah, I know. We'll come back to it. uh, Okay, let's do clarity then type. So Chicago Express has essentially no randomness in the game. Yeah. But there's an immense amount of uncertainty. What do you mean essentially? Uh, does it just have no randomness? Yeah. Your no starting randomness. position in the auction? Like what? I guess. What okay. Like? Okay. No, I, guess I mean, so. I don't know. But yeah, okay. It has no randomness. But it has so much uncertainty because what your opponents do on subsequent turns will impact how strong or weak a given decision is quite a bit, uh, depending on what could happen. So the whole game to me, in terms of clarity, it feels really fuzzy, but it doesn't feel fuzzy because of randomness. It's a high uncertainty game where it's outside of later game positions where like, yes, this is what will clearly happen. Early on, it feels fairly uncertain because there's so many things that could happen. Um, But once people have started to commit to their positions, positions all of a sudden it gets very clear it yeah but it never like in some games we say very clear what we mean is like at the end of the game 
there's like one obvious thing you have to do. And I yeah. feel like maybe that's true in like the last turn here. But even at the end of Chicago Express, like I still feel quite a bit of uncertainty because of um, like the way the dividend rounds work, right? They pay out at the end of the round. So that can really affect like your auction mm. values for things. Um even right there at the end, even if it's going to pay out one more time, if uh, if you're the next to go and you can just trigger the ending dividend round, then you can make a clear valuation for what that's going to be worth. But if you have to wait two turns and then it's like, well, is the next person going to end the round or are they going to maybe do another auction that can uh, reduce my ownership of that same company? Right. All those things still add uncertainty to the game, even if it's like clear where people are going, what their strategies are. And then one of the other wrinkles to add to that is in Chicago Express, you can also just pick an action to advance a dial. There's this dial system, right, that I talked about in the rules overview, where when two of the dials get into the red, you've used all of the available actions of that type this round, uh, then you can't use that anymore. But in Chicago Express, you can pick one of those actions and then just pass. So you can do a null auction is what people colloquially call it. So choose the auction action, but then choose not to auction any shares, meaning you just are advancing the auction portion of the game less in this game with your turn, which adds this whole insane wrinkle where multiple players, if they didn't want a specific person to be able to place trains this time, might both pick to put place trains. In that example, they'd probably put them somewhere else. But maybe if they didn't want someone to be able to auction the final share because the winning player maybe wants to push the game towards the end, one of the end game conditions is three companies being out of their shares. Maybe they both pick the auction action and pass on auctioning so that the player, when it gets to them, can't do that and can't get the shares to end. And then you have a whole nother turn of the game, which adds all this more uncertainty or a whole nother round of the game, which adds. Yeah, I like null auctioning. I think it's nasty. So basically what you're describing is adding length to the game and then the same person just wins anyway. Well, it depends. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Because what if you can get your train into... Yeah, there's... Maybe. There's a wrinkle. But yeah, it depends on... Runaway leaders are... It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And I mean, it is also a short game, we should say too. Yeah. So a runaway leader is not like the end of the world. This is not 18xx where we're sitting around the table for three to six hours. Yeah. This is like what... 45 minutes to an hour. To an hour yeah. Which I think is part of what impresses me so much about it as well is how fast it is. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the type. We have to do it. We got to stay on brand. I was going to say it's dynamic. Interesting. W- which is interesting because the actual like decision options you have is static, but the meaning of those is so dynamic with the state of the game. Yeah. Like the thing that's changing is the board and ownership and shares and that makes the effective use of any given action feel much more dynamic than in the type of euro games that we typically cover yeah i think that's that's fair and if certain players make certain decisions that make a given path very costly to go down that certainly feels like you a, could say, a more... maybe you could say dynamic waning like sure. that type of yeah. vibe you definitely have feel the walls closing in in chicago express for sure too driven by the trains potentially running out or the shares running out yeah dynamic to dynamic waning i think is a fair way to put it for sure cool you feel the waning pressure yeah yeah it's, it, it, the the clock is like more is very much clear and ticking from the start of the game yep okay jake there's a lot of notes here and we've covered we dipped our toe into some of it where do you want to start what do you want to when you want to dig your teeth into what fire do you want to throw into the steam engine first or coal do you want to throw in the steam engine? i think maybe just starting at the action the auction okay we can start the auction i was gonna say like the actual actions like when would you do a given thing because really the question i want to ask you is like when would you ever want to use the development 
action. Yeah. Okay. So if I went the green strategy where I'm trying to be the sole owner of green, who's going to push it all the way to Chicago, right? I Sometimes I'll do this if I end up buying green and then I can win the second share of green that gets auctioned and you go north, which I, I have won games doing it this way. Sometimes I find I'm a little cash poor and I can't quite make it to the end. So sometimes as a tactical move, you need to develop a forest and just get a little bit of more cash onto your company charter so you can pay to place the final rails. And then also I'll do it if I'm in green also up in the north or sometimes yellow all the way down in the south where I'm the only one improving certain cities that no one else has a chance of getting to. So I'm increasing the value of that rail line on a given turn. And especially if I'm maybe slightly behind, so I don't necessarily want to be auctioning because I don't want to, I'm not trying to get into a new color. So I don't want to auction a different train company. I don't want to auction my own color because I don't want to devalue my own company of green by just auctioning it off and letting someone else get it, devaluing my shares. And I can't build because there's no build actions. Maybe I'll develop and increase the value of my shares a little bit, knowing that no one else will be able to leech in. That's interesting. I don't know that I've ever been in a position in this game, except for when I make the huge blunder in the Wabash auction, where then you don't have enough money money to get to to Chicago. Um, which is like, I think just a classic like experience of this game. You kind of have to do it once. Do you want to explain um, what you mean too, just really quickly? Yeah. So when the first train gets to Chicago, it triggers a special only in this case, dividend phase where trains pay out and then it starts an auction for us the first share of the Wabash train line. Uh, and it starts at $1 is the minimum auction. But I think you need a total of $7 in order to advance from Wabash to Chicago in a single turn. And it depends um, on how many trains are already in those spaces. And it depends. Yeah, you're right. It is variable. Um, but so you, you if you win it for five, then you're not going to have enough cash in the train line to build the tracks that you need to get to Chicago, um, making that $5 investment a $4 loss because you'll just pay out the one. Because it's, yes, the cool thing about Chicago Express is the money you spend to buy these companies goes into the company's charter and that's the money that that company uses to build rails. So it's sort of self-balancing in that if you don't pay enough, if you get too good of a deal, quote unquote, sometimes you can't build enough rail to complete the project. So if a player makes a really big mistake, sometimes uh, they'll just kind of have to auction their own company to infuse some more capital into it to make the train move again, uh, more or less. Yeah, I, that's interesting. Yeah, I that's I think your example on the green line makes it a lot of sense. I just haven't found myself in that situation often. And again, it's hard to say because like I don't have the context of this game, and we've been playing within the same meta. Yeah, of like perhaps we're just all investing more in trains than other people do when they play this game. Um, which as long as everybody's like in the same ballpark, really, I think like any amount is kind of viable. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. And maybe, so maybe we're just spending too much. So all our train companies are just super flush. But of course you can't just be like, oh, everybody's paying too much. So I just don't buy anything because then you're just not going to have any trains. They're going to lose. Yeah. You can't get any money. Well, another thing too, Jake is Pittsburgh. Okay. So there's two types of cities in the game. There's industrial cities and regular cities when you. It's so weird. I bet listening to this, people are like, this game doesn't sound simple at all. I know. But it is like the core mechanisms are super simple but it definitely has like it's another just like finicky thing like there are just like way more edge cases i think than need be and i think that this is probably again uh 
showing its age a little bit. And it's a great comparison to like the Iberian gauge game I played, yeah. which is like similar with no edge cases at all. Interesting. Yeah, you like move to different places. They do slightly different stuff, different things when you develop on them. And, that, and, and it almost never matters. It's like and, all edge case stuff. And But part of it too is it's trying. One really impressive thing about Chicago Express that we, we've talked about this game a lot, Jake, but I've never talked to you about this. But I think that one thing that really impresses me about this design is it accomplishes all of this while also trying to be somewhat historically accurate to what's happening and to have somewhat historically accurate things play out, which is kind of neat. So like when you... Pittsburgh's this major American industrial city that when you develop Pittsburgh, you increase the value by two spaces instead of just one when you develop there. So another reason why you might do that is if you're the first person to get to Pittsburgh and you can't play place more track and you don't want to auction because maybe you perceive you're behind a little bit maybe you just develop pittsburgh you jump from four value to six value to getting to pittsburgh and it, it just generates that little bit of extra cash and then if other people don't go to pittsburgh at all you're reaping the rewards of that for longer um and i i do think you know there is this unyielding pressure to get to chicago but i think there's definitely reasons where de- where developing can pay off in rare circumstances too and then yeah auctioning is super important because you control it's sort of like one of the be- most important bluntest tools i've ever used in a game right because it's controlling who gets what slice of what pie and that's the the game how big are the pies you you decide how big the pies are by laying tracks uh and what cities you get to and then you also decide who gets how much of any given pie uh the railroads the railroads are the pie food metaphor we got there um by selling shares and the shares are really slices of those pies and i think that a major important revelation that every player is going to have playing Chicago Express early on is, oh, if someone's in a good position and they own most of a company, I need to sell it and force them to either buy their own company, continue to invest, and hopefully we can get them to overpay, or we just have to devalue it by diluting the value of each individual share. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the major tools. Yeah. The auctioning is so good. Like, that's the other reason where why I feel like development, it gets short shrift because the other ones are just so obviously and apparently more powerful. It's like, get your train towards Chicago if you have like a dominant position in one of the trains yeah, or just auction anything that you don't own and it's hurting yeah. somebody, you know? Yep. Like if, if somebody's trying to maintain ownership, then they're putting their points into that train company for no good reason. Yep. Uh, or it's diluting the shares to them and, and adding somebody else into it. But then the other important thing is because the most likely end condition that we've experienced in our games is the shares of three of the companies run out. That's that's one of the major ways that can win. So by taking the auction action, you are advancing towards the end game. So what that means is, is that the player who should really be auctioning shares is the player who's winning. There's reasons why that can't always be the case and there's reasons why you win always. Um, but all other things equal if you're not winning there's a lot of pressure to not be auctioning to be doing other things and i think that there's going to be an inflection point at some point in the game too where that no longer is true someone else will get in lead or maybe it looks like the train's going to end a different way multiple three companies with no trains um i i have not seen the game there's two other end conditions detroit gets to eight income that means you have eight rounds of regular dividends not including chicago dividends which happen anytime a train gets to chicago or all of the houses there's 20 development houses get used i've never had a game and in either of those ways i have had games end running out of trains and running out of shares yeah no it makes sense okay cool. all right let's talk about something else 
That's okay. So we talked about the actions, how interesting that system is and how it makes each play of the game different because when the auctions happen and how many happen in a given round can really change the feel of the game. I think the other thing that really impacts the game is that is the starting auction. The starting auction is when different players are assigned different shares. Uh, so you go through and auction off each of the starting companies, which are the ones that are all the way on the East Coast that are trying to move west towards Chicago. That Black Railroad, Wabash, that we talked about that starts really close to Chicago already isn't available until someone gets to Chicago. Uh, so you, that initial auction is where you really can figure out who's in a strong position early on and it can really deviate by player count how those auctions play out also because the total money in the game is always the same. It's always $120. So you divide 120 by the number of people playing to get the starting money. So how much people feel like they can afford to spend on a given company share at the start and maybe even how strong they perceive that company to be can really shift based on a given player count. Also, Jake, really quickly, this is the most natural time to say this. Chicago Express, the that version of the game that we play, says it plays two to six. The Rio Grande version says three to six players is what Chicago Express plays. Uh, I think that's absolutely true. This is not a game anyone should be playing at two players. I've tried it. Don't do it. I think I've also played it only at four players. So uh, I guess just know that and take all my opinions with a grain of salt because certainly the meta is going to change a lot uh, you know, and how much you can fit in stuff you would think. I like really three or five or six. Yeah, I've played it at three, four, five. I don't think I have a game at six yet, but I love it at five because sometimes what happens when you're playing a four player game, there's four starting companies. You all kind of settle into a company that feels like it's your primary company. And at five, you're just scrapping because everyone well, wants a piece of the pie and they, there's not an even share. But I wouldn't say it, in our four player games, everybody gets one share. That's often, very true. It's, often it feels like Someone gets somebody's, two shares. Somebody's getting two shares. Somebody's getting zero shares. And that was when I broke the game and won those three times in a row. I, I just realized that people were bidding too much. And I could, with my first move, you know, bid, uh, get the same red share that somebody just bought for 17 for 15. Yep. And a huge and part of that. would have enough left over to like counter me. Yeah. Let me, can I clarify for the audience of people who haven't played? So yeah. Jake realized if we all opened up our auctions at four player, you start with $30. If you all open up your auctions at 17, paying $17 for shares, everyone's going to be left with $13. And when the next round started, the actual opening play of the game, Jake could just auction and buy a shares of those companies that's significantly cheaper. So he provided a lot of downwards pressure on the market because he identified that people were overpaying and we have kind of like adjusted from there adjusted from there adjusted from there yeah and and that's like such a cool thing about this game system right it's like there's always an answer baked into the system yeah. but you have to identify it and you have to coordinate with other people there's never like i can solve this alone like for, for this the solution there would be like okay if i am coming into that first round of the game at, with a cash advantage and y'all are cash poor then if the first two people to go if you go before me auction off like the railroads that are like not as valuable yellow or green that puts me in a really tough position of like do i buy one of these or do i uh you know keep you don't want to go into the first dividends phase without a single train that's pretty rough and it's also rough to spend all of your money and not have money to participate in auctions because then other people are going to potentially be getting really good deals so you have to take that in, into consideration oftentimes if you do get ownership of shares early on you want to see those shares pay out as quickly as possible before the value gets diluted from its first dividend um, and other people can 
sort of chip away. So green starts at an income of eight. And so it's it's going to pay out a nice dividend if you're the only shareholder of eight income to you. So when I go green, typically it's like, oh, I feel pressure to get to build to increase the value, but also just to get my first dividend and have that paid back, which can vary some too, depending on which you get to start. Jake was doing that strategy with red, which worked really well. Yeah, no, totally. For the opening auction, the one key point too is there is potential with the same group with certain player counts to really settle into what the perception of a fair opening value is. We certainly have had that happen where we're paying around 15 for red or blue at the start. At four I players. think it's more still. I, I think like red typically is going for 17, which mm. seems like I don't get that because... It feels too high. It feels too high. It feels like you can almost certainly get it in the first round for a cheaper value yep. yeah um but for whatever reason red still sends, tends to go for 16 or 17 and then it's like blue is like 15 or 16 green one less and then maybe yellow one less i think a huge part of that jake is because it, it's really hard to evaluate how much a given share is going to be worth in the long run and then just full stop that's that's one potential end but then also on top of that it's so hard to evaluate what the other things that you could be doing with that money could be worth so all the other potential shares you could be investing in right at the outset of the game so it's so fuzzy and then there's also this psychological pre- psychological pressure of i don't want to be left off getting a share in the beginning i yeah. don't know that strategically that's a bad thing like you were saying you identified but it just kind of feels bad to be like oh i didn't get picked you know yeah but if the other people are blowing it yeah then you don't want the, to yeah yeah the, can i talk about since we just you just brought up like how difficult it is to think through how much a share is going to be worth because this is probably my biggest problem with this game it's yeah. just like i just do not enjoy doing the math mm. in this game Figuring out every the dividend time, payout. Every time you're going to make a stock investment, right? Because you really, the game, it feels like you really have to do this math to come up with like a reasonable number for what this share is going to be worth to you. Or else you're just throwing away the game by spending too much money uh, on an investment that you're never going to get back. But the way to calculate it is you have to look at like just so many different places right because you have to see like how much money what what the income is now like how far is it to like chicago right or whatever or you know what how cities much, you'll hit along the way how many shares are outstanding right how many shares are outstanding like basically where you're at in the turn order how many rounds are left in the game and that could be variable and that could, and you don't and none of these things you really know for sure because in a lot of cases, like you have to make this guesstimate about what other players might do before or after you in the turn order. Um, and I just like don't love that. Mm-hmm. Maybe like for some people, it could give them like the freedom to like not try and math things out as much. But like the game is so willing and able to allow you to blunder away everything that it like to me, that's not satisfying. So I feel like. I spend a lot of time playing this game trying to like do this kind of arithmetic of like what my investment might be worth. And that's just not something that I find particularly fun. And that's purely a subjective like me experience. And there's also a lot of like other math in games that I don't mind. But I feel like if I'm doing math in the game, a lot of math in a game, uh, I want it to feel like maybe a little bit more clear to me. And I also feel like not being good at this kind of math maybe is like 
making my experience worse too. I feel like it takes me time to work through it every time. And then I don't really know. And I'm just like, it, it just kind of drives me crazy. Ugh. Multiple division. It's just tough. It is. And it, <laughs> it, I mean, you got to do division. I don't want to divide. There is decimal. Add. There are decimal values in this game. I think I hear what you're saying, Jake. It asks you to do your homework and it's sort of the cost of doing business for the framework that it sets up. And I think for a given player, whether or not it's worth it to do that is going to be how much you like the game that produces comes forth from it and i also think that it's it is the kind of thing where it's like the more you did this kind of math the easier it would get to kind of figure out and puzzle yeah. out and solve which is maybe part of the reason that people who play these games a lot end up playing these games even more and liking these games even more because it's a it's a thing that would come quicker to you know yeah that and then you do all the math spend all the time and then brendan's like i want to get second place so i'm just gonna like rocket take a first sub place person into yeah. chicago anyway it's like well great yeah 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 that's but that's part of the fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess so um i i'm like struggling doing this because we're having a part of this conversation where i'm like oh this game is better than a seven like yeah and, and then now i'm having this part of this conversation i was like man a seven is now generous when i'm considering mm. this well, aspect of it you know we'd cut you know, out yeah we used to do turbulence on our show which is like a whole little segment dedicated to things that frustrate us and it feels like we're in that now we haven't yeah. done it in a long time i think that you know being dominated by other Wait, players Brandon, stop for one second uh, well, this is your captain speaking. We are now approaching uh, a little bit of turbulence. Please return to your seat. Buckle your safety belt. Let's go. Throwback. Oh, so good. So being dominated by other players just feels terrible. It's not yeah. a fun way to play a game. The opening auction being like settling into similar play patterns can be kind of boring, which kind of pushes you towards wanting to explore other things that don't often work out. You kind of need groupthink for those things to often work out. You need other people on board with trying to push the meta in different directions, which can be fun to get there. But if your group is in a stale place and they don't want to deviate, it's the game's going to feel the same. Uh, and that can be frustrating. And also, you know, you have a high agency game with really blunt tools, like just being able to go at each other by auctioning their shares to devalue them can feel pretty indirect at times for people, I think. And well, if you're really practice with these games that might feel like a very direct way in which to address someone and attack them i think for less practiced players uh it can be frustrating sort of not knowing exactly how to unseat the person who's in the lead and how to get at making their portfolio not be working so hard for them yeah it's also a game that can provide like really obvious feedback at times like if you buy the first share of wabash and don't have enough money <laughs> to get to chicago it's like oh i definitely messed that up but in many other cases and more often i feel like it doesn't really provide a lot of feedback right where you can just be playing this game my experience was like playing this game and losing playing this game and losing yeah playing this game and losing and it just I really think it took me like 10 or so plays of that experience um, before I really started like understanding the implication of anything in this game. And that's more than I want. And yeah. perhaps somebody hears that and they're like, that's awesome. Like, because that means there is a ton of depth here. But I think that uh, opacity of just the decisions you're making in this game to somebody coming. And again, maybe if you're a trained gamer, you won't have to deal with that at all. But if you're like me coming to this genre, basically brand new, that was what I dealt with. I want to talk about the feedback slightly more because here's the terms that I would put it in. You feel the feedback of blunders acutely in this game. You feel the 
feedback of mistakes rarely and the feedback of good decisions rarely. Yeah. It, you know, and, and that's, that's a frustrating place to be because when you make a blunder, you sort of know, okay, great. I made a blunder, but to not even know where to improve necessarily on your decisions in those first couple of games. And then to not always be able to see why someone who won one uh, can be tough. And yeah, you have to be in it to really want to sort of say, how do I unpack this game? And if you do, it's rewarding. Also, somebody's blunder is going to be somebody else's like benefit, right? In a yeah, lot of yeah. cases too. So it, it could also have that thing where it's like, oh, I was in pretty good sp- shape and then this happened and now the uh, like player Y or whatever is going to run away with it. Yep. Okay. Some other things now we're leaving the turbulence back to clear. I want to stay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm leaving. Jake's staying. We'll see how the rest of the show goes. <laughs> um, is the Chicago dividend. So this is, we've mentioned this mechanic a couple times. This is really key. It's a huge part of this game that makes this whole game tick. Uh, and that's that when the Jake mentioned, whenever a tr- railroad for the first time gets to Chicago, a dividend just for that company is issued. So that's huge because it represents comeback potential. And it's not a foregone conclusion that everyone will for- will get to Chicago. So that really matters. And then also the first one, uh, it triggers the sale of the first Wabash rail, which is an extra rail that gets added and it adds even more comeback potential where you, if you sequence things correctly, you could potentially uh, put yourself in a position where if no one else has much money, maybe they've just bought a bunch of shares, you trigger, you get your railroad into Chicago, you get a nice dividend giving you money back, you use that to buy the Wabash, all of a sudden you run it into straight into Chicago, just ram it in there, get another dividend for that line, juicing you even more, all of a sudden you have comeback. And what I love about this mechanism aren't the mechanics of it, it's the uncertain potential that it adds to every part of this game where because it adds so much potential value to the end of the path it's hard up until someone gets there to know how much a given railroad is totally going to be worth and as long as things stay fairly close it leaves a lot of tension in the game up until the end yeah it's it's so wild because it's like no matter uh, first of all if you're the one who triggers wabash you almost never want to buy it i think because that means it's going to go around a whole time around the table in turn order before you would have the chance to like construct tracks into Chicago, Chicago, meaning that somebody else is probably going to auction it or they're going to finish the round before you get the chance to do it. Uh, And the second auction could well cost less money for that same share because now it's a diluted share. So that's just something to be like aware of. But this, I think this part also highlights my frustration with like trying to do math because it just gets so complicated to me like i can just never understand like what wabash should go for because even here at the very end of the game you know it's basically like is the game going to go one more dividend phase or two more dividend phases and that's going to be like a shared table experience that you have like very little control over so i always feel like and i guess i'll just do like whatever the value that i think like the minimum it could be is but it just never i just never feel like good about the decisions i'm making at this as in this point in the game because there's so much uncertainty potentially around that so yeah you're kind of opting opting into a, a risk you're speculating I mean, yeah, there are times yeah. sometimes like it's like oh, okay it's really i, clear. I can yeah. i can have it for this much and i'm next in turn order so that's great and it's like a slam dunk play yeah but more often i find that not being the case well put i think that's close jake by talking about maybe what sets this game apart or some of the things that stand out about it Okay. Maybe not set it apart. So the one thing for me that we haven't hammered home on right now that I want to is that I think that the board in this game is 
incredibly well designed. There's lots of little decisions around pathing that I think add to the depth of this game in a way that I'm only starting to appreciate and understand in a meaningful way, especially combined with the puzzle over shared ownership and actions, right? Where decisions around, do I go into the mountains here or do I just swing up into the forest and when you choose to to block uh, or to take a certain path based on who owns what, I find really interesting. And it, I'm only just starting to like fully unpack them. And I, that's the thing I really love about the game. I also think it's really cool how each railroad more or less has two viable paths that you could be choosing from. They each have consequences for how the flow of the game works, the amount of dividends you'll get at certain stages and the potential of other trains around. Them. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree, except for Red, which only has one viable path (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think for me the thing that sticks out about this game and i don't know if this is i think it's this game but it could also be speaking to my experience playing it is that it feels like because it's quick because it has a kind of manageable rule set it creates an awesome ecosystem for like a meta to grow and adapt and change if you're playing it over and over with the same number of people. And I've had a ton of fun playing in that ongoing game with you and some people from our discord. And I would totally want to keep playing it and I will. And I think for me, like board game arena, having this is like the perfect medium for this to sort of exist I would love even more to play it on the table with that same group of folks, but I don't know that I really have like for that same reason, like the social dynamics. Yeah. Just the way I play games. Like, I don't know that it's going to have a ton of value for me, like being on myself in my house. Yeah. That's, I think that's really fair. And it's going to vary player to player, group to group, whether or not you people feel like investing the time in, in this one game to to get back what it could return yeah. if you make and that I, investment. And again, I think it's just worth reiterating that if you're like a cube rails person or a train game person, you've already probably done that initial investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, other things about this game that I think sets it apart for me as an experience. We talked about the, the rules to depth ratio just being great. There are a fair amount of rules, but the depth just feels so great that it's right there. It's quick, so it packs a punch. And then for me, Jake, the thing that came to the forefront was just how many different mechanisms or dynamics or game elements kind of fit in this box. So here's a list that I came up with that might not even be all of it, but flavors that you get to taste when you play Chicago Express. Speculation, cash flow management, stock ownership and manipulation. There's a spatial puzzle, route building, shared incentives, auction, and a player controlled endgame. That's a lot of stuff in this one game. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. And I, but I think like the key for me is like that all of these things are so dictated by the table. Like it's a highly, highly interactive game. Yep. And that can be a little bit polarizing. Obviously, I think we are sort of on, you know, we have, we share a lot of taste in games, but this is like one point that sometimes we can kind of be on different sides of the spectrum uh, where I, you're okay with like games that allow for just like wildly different outcomes based on the choices of the players and that's just like a interactive element that doesn't always do it for me sometimes yeah. i just want like a little bit more of like a sure thing if you're going to ask me to do all this math yep yeah yeah for sure and i think it's interesting when if two people can join together and collude and do so a little bit more effectively to really shake up the dynamics just because it gives you something different but yeah it's it's interesting because most of the games that i've, I've played and maybe this is a closing thought for me jake with those sort of dynamics are games like cosmic encounter or even zuva that we recently played and I, I love those dynamics but yeah. it's rare that i play a game with a lot of math uh 
uh, like a mathy stock ownership game with those dynamics. And that certainly is, I think... That's causing a little bit of like tension for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And f- for me, like the PV and je- Jelly is still there, but I, I'm feeling for you that it's like, this is not a mashup that's quite yeah. working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, negotiation just like in general is not at like the top of my list of yeah. like mechanisms like I love. But don't make me also divide, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, for sure. And there are moments in this game where it's sort of like, Jake, we have to get this to Chicago. Can you can we do this together? And I, you know, then no one replies in the chat. And I'm like, well, great, because <laughs> no one wants to agree to collude. I'm like, let's just make the choo-choo happen. But yeah, I think, you know, hopefully this, uh, maybe as a closing thought, more cube rails, Jake? Yeah, I would play more. I think uh, Railway to the World is not necessarily a cube rails game, but I do think it's on Board Game Arena. And I've heard a lot of good things about that. Um, so I'd be interested in checking that out. I think I would have a better experience next time I try a Cube Rails game. And I'm definitely up to exploring them more with you. Nice. I'll just leave it at this. I think a lot of my experience with this game is because I just don't have experience with this genre. And I can very much imagine an alternate universe where we are playing this game or you know we have a train game podcast or whatever and we decide to cover like the castles of burgundy and we're just like yeah i mean it's just like a lot of rules like we kept having to look up the tiles every turn and like 10 games in we started to internalize it and have more fun yeah you know like i think it's just our where our background is that made this one like more maybe opaque than it is within the confines of its genre. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, I would love to play more cube rails and more train games generally. I think the the shared ownership of companies is a really fruitful mechanism that creates interesting dynamics. I don't think that's something anyone has not said before, right? That's like a known thing. But yeah, I found I mean, it really refreshing. And but fun. it means something more coming from us being like the 18xx podcast. Right, right. Exactly. It does mean a lot more. Also, uh, I will say I played I started a game of Paris Connection which is also on Board Game Arena Jake and that is another Cube Rails game but it's neat because uh, you still have shares of ownership but they're hidden uh, and they're only revealed at the end of the game and you can swap out what you have so that's kind of cool as you're like these your actions might kind of be revealing what you have ownership of and you're increasing the value but you're trying to keep it hidden and you don't necessarily know what you want to spec into Um, so that one seems cool it seems like it really clips at a good pace uh, but like has lots of interesting decisions offered and i think that that maybe is the final thing about chicago express that i find so fun is the the pace of decisions and the impact of those decisions are really rewarding and that's what makes it a game i'd love to keep playing and go back to cool well that brings us to the end of this week's episode of decision space i'd love to hear what you have to think about the episode what train games should we play next or alternatively if you think dear lord don't let these guys touch another train game for all that is holy and sacred let us know in the discord you can always find a link to that in the description of this podcast as always we want to thank hembry for intro and outro song reach out and if you'd like to find more episodes of decision space check out your podcatcher feed obviously or search for episodes that might be of interest to you on decisionspacepodcast.com until next week y'all choo 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 choo